Welcome to History Uncensored. My name is Seth Michaels, and as always, I don't give a fuck what you learned in history class. Let's start out today. Today we're going to talk about ancient Greece and slavery, kind of continuing our slavery series. Our most recent one was that of Mesopotamia and ancient Egypt. If you haven't listened to it, I recommend going back and listening to it. It's really good. Really kind of gives you a base for slavery in uh, what we can think of the classical Western world. I'm going to start out today with a poem, though. To live this life, your best life. A purpose you need, for at home stands a perfect machine. You can call it by name, you can call it family. At the end of the day, it knows the game. This machine, it's burden life your desire. But, what if I told you this machine has a voice? What if I told you this machine it sleeps, it loves, it laughs, it fears. The voice, its voice, to have a voice. The history of trialed trails, of shaking hands, grown old and frail. Yet, you can sell it, you can buy it, hate it, feed it, make greed from it. But in the end, you need it to live this life. Your best life, it's this, a slave you need. At home stands a perfect machine, the collar heavy, burden great, its shoulders weighed, but it ends like all ends, of earth and stone decayed. A poem on slavery. Alright guys, we're going to be doing today's podcast a little bit different. I'm going to try and wrap this up in about 30 minutes. So hang tight, we are going to learn about Greek slavery. The Greek class system kind of contained a few different sets within the system. So you had, on the top you had male citizens, you know, aristocrats, farmers, middle class artisans and stuff. Uh, below that you had semi-free laborers, women and children kind of all grouped into that women just didn't have as many rights as men, especially in Athens where if you weren't a citizen uh, and you could only be a citizen if you were male, you just didn't have that many rights. And then below the women, the children, and the semi-free laborers like the helots of Sparta, you had slaves and foreigners, which were as good or worse off than slaves were. And what's the reason for all of these slaves in Greek society? And don't get me wrong, during certain parts there were fewer and during certain parts there were more, but at its penultimate point in Athens, you had almost as many slaves as you did citizens. I mean, we're talking about 100 to 150,000 of each of them. So many so, and... The slaves were treated so differently that a citizen walking amongst the street would have a hard time telling whether or not a individual was a citizen or they were a slave. 
because slaves were treated a little differently than what we think of as slaves, or at least some of them were. But unlike Christian or monotheistic ethics, labor itself wasn't regarded as a virtue in classical Greece. There were a few reasons for this. First, it was believed that citizens should have as much free time as possible so they could devote their time to participating in government, in artistry, in competition, in rhetoric, in gaining of knowledge, kind of all of the things that would become a citizen of Athens. Second, it was believed that it was not good for a free man to work for others. And in ancient Greece, you could come become a slave through a few different means. You had war, piracy, slash banditry, debt slavery, and the slave trade. So that would be like slaves coming from other areas, not Greece. So through war, the idea of war during this time, the ancient Greece is if Let's say you were a, a roaming army and you come upon a city that is inhabited by others. You could then assault and take that city. Well, to the victor go the spoils. And that was definitely the case in ancient Greece. If you won, you could basically enslave the entire population, whether or not they were soldiers. Um, generally, it was restricted to soldiers, but other times it wasn't. So that's war. Um for piracy and banditry it was basically a national pastime for greeks uh to be pirates and the reason is pretty simple it was pretty lucrative to be a pirate because if you captured somebody and you tried to ransom them well you got the ransom money but if they weren't ransom well let's say your family wasn't able to pay for the return of you know auntie carol you could sell Auntie Carol as a pirate into slavery and get some good money for her. I mean, slaves worked seemingly all of the jobs the Greeks didn't want to do. Again, they didn't believe in labor. They didn't believe in menial tasks. They wanted to take part in government and talk and have fun. And to do that, you just needed a lot of slaves. Greek slaves were prostitutes were accountants were policemen were miners were industry workers were farmers were tutors teachers basically any job coin counters any job that the citizen didn't want to do was put on to slaves we have piracy war I want to talk about debt slavery for a moment. Debt slavery is unique. It's putting yourself into slavery for a debt that you have. Again, this is something that I explained in my Egypt and Mesopotamian uh, slavery podcast. So if you want to go back and listen to that, uh, I explain it pretty thoroughly there. I'll explain it again. Basically... You go into debt for something. Let's say you want to start a business or let's say you need money for your farm or whatever the case is. You need money, so you borrow it from a lender. And then you are unable to pay back that money. The only way that you foresee yourself being able to pay back that money 
is by selling either yourself or perhaps some of your family members, whether it's your children or your wife, whoever, somebody that as a male citizen, somebody that is in your house, you could then sell into slavery. Basically, as the male in the home, you they're under your patronage, I guess is a better way to put it. So you can decide what to do with their lives. And if for you, that is selling them into slavery to pay for a debt. That's what it is. Debt slavery is also unique because the debt can be paid off through slavery and you can it can be relinquished. Um, that doesn't always happen. If you are in debt slavery, it's possible that that type of bondage, that type of slavery could be transformed into more chattel slavery where you are in slave you are a slave in perpetuity which just be real shitty i mean it doesn't get much shittier than selling your children to slavery i i still can't understand that concept as a father myself i mean i guess i i wouldn't want to die but that would be a a very difficult choice for me personally to make to sell my children into slavery or die um, to be honest, if if it were me, I would much rather sell myself into slavery. Part of that is because I have an amazing wife, and she'd do more than a good enough job of watching after her children, regardless of the era. But back to slavery here. Debt slavery is pretty shitty, but it was very prevalent. Up until around 600, until the leader Salone set forth some laws that said, hey, you can no longer be a debt slave. You have to figure out different way to pay off that debt than slavery, which is great, or you would think. It's nice that families could no longer sell themselves into slavery, but what you had was this transformation from debt slavery, which has a higher chance of freedom at the end, to more chattel slavery. Because... You were no longer getting the influx of slaves from your own society. You had to then get slaves from outside of the society. You had to get them from foreigners. You had to get them from war conquests. So the prevalence of slavery in those institutions increased as a result of Solon basically canceling debt slavery in Greece. So in a nutshell, that is debt slavery. The last one... The last way that you can kind of become a slave after debt slavery, war, and piracy banditry, which is just terrible to think about. I don't know why I'm laughing. Just the idea of like strolling down a, a road north of Greece and somebody just takes you and said, you're mine now. And if your family can't pay for you, I'm going to sell you or kill you. Definitely more profitable to sell. And that's why piracy was so prevalent. Like I said, it's basically a national pastime for Greeks. But we're not doing that. We're doing slave trade, which is very closely tied to the piracy and banditry. There were slave trades between the kingdoms and states in the wider region of Greece especially as especially as Greece 
started getting further along in the Hellenistic time period after Alexander the Great, and you had a much broader region, um, this Macedonian Empire, you had this much broader region uh, in this Hellenistic Greece. You have so much more land and so many more peoples that you're controlling and taking care of. You have a much broader range of slaves that you can choose from, that you can occupy, that you can take. But what makes Greece kind of unique is how they treated their slaves, at least family slaves, as opposed to the way that pre-modern America's American slaves were treated. Greek slaves were still treated as chattel, kind of as property, but they weren't treated uh, perhaps quite as harshly as uh, slaves in pre-modern America or let's say like Haiti and the sugarcane fields or in uh, Brazil or in the Yucatan Peninsula. Definitely not treated nearly as harshly as those slaves Often when a slave was purchased and invited into the family, there was almost a party. There was fruit and nuts and grain, and um, it was a pretty happy circumstance that a family, especially if you were a middle-class family, that you were able to get a slave. It really allowed the the citizen to take his duties to where he thought that his priorities should lie. It allowed the uh, the mother of the family, the head female of the family, to really take control of running the estate. So we had all of this going on, and those slaves were definitely treated a bit a bit better. And then there were the mining slaves. So in ancient Greece, there's a, a really big push for silver, and they had silver mines. Well, unfortunately, a lot of that silver was lined with lead. You know where this is going. Well, they needed a constant influx of slaves, and we're talking, you know, anywhere between ten and thirty thousand slaves being siphoned through these mines at any time. So they needed all of these slaves to procure the silver from the mines. Well, because the it was deep and dark and suffocating, um, they had oil lanterns that they used in the mines. They only had about 10 hours of light with those oil lanterns. After that, the light, the light ran out, and hopefully you know your way back to the surface. Many slaves died in those mines not only did they die in the mines but because the silver was lined with lead the life expectancy of a slave that was being sent to the mines was generally only two to three years regardless of the nutrition which wasn't great regardless of their living conditions again which wasn't great but because they were forced to basically seven days a week, 10 hours per day, go into these mines, work with lead-lined silver and harsh conditions. Basically, as you're excavating the rock and that lead dust is flying up into the air, you're inhaling it. Um, definitely not good for you. Don't recommend doing that. 
but people often forget and when we think about ancient Greece just like when we think about ancient Rome and some of ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia we we really romanticize it and when we romanticize it we forget about some of the terrible things that happened during that time period like slavery and how prevalent it was like I said around 350 BC almost half the populations of Athens were slaves in Sparta I mean Helots outnumbered citizens like seven to one. Slaves were a huge part of the life and lifestyle of ancient Greece. They were so much part of the lifestyle that women as slaves, and because female slaves were literally owned by their employers, and all slaves literally owned a chattel slavery because debt slavery wasn't really debt bondage, wasn't really around anymore. How well slaves were treated depended on the status, uh, in their status in the household, as well as how the temperament of their owners. As a result, a, a female slave's vulnerable position with the, within the household, they were often subjected to sexual exploitation and physical abuse. And any children born of master-servant liaisons were disposed of because female slaves were prohibited from rearing children. Another thing that we often forget about Greek society, if you didn't want a child, you went out into the deepest, darkest part of the woods where nobody's going to visit and you left the child there. Just left it there. You can't care for it. You know, you, maybe you don't have the money or whatever the case is. You don't want it. Maybe you raped a, your own slave and they bore you a child. They can't have children. So what do you do? You take it out to the woods and you leave it there. Let nature take its course. Uh, according to the Greeks, there's no blood debt. They didn't do the killing themselves. So they felt absolved of basically their sin. And women as slaves were in a particularly tough spot. It was generally frowned upon for the masters, the citizen, to have sexual relations with females or concubines or, or women outside of the household. It still happened pretty frequently. One of the other things that's interesting about women slaves in ancient Greece is that many of them were concubines or heteri the word for prostitute in ancient Greece. So many of them were prostitutes. One stipulation of this, one extension of this form of slavery is that it was much easier, easier is the wrong term, it was much more frequent for women to be manumitted, to be uh, emitted freedom from slavery because of their willingness to perform and willingness also probably not right because they had to perform sexual acts for as part of their slavery because prostitutes could make some of their own money one thing that happened um, and a lot of slaves in ancient greece could make their own money they couldn't generally buy their freedom with it that really wasn't allowed but what you could do is find a third party to give the money to. Hopefully they're reliable. You could find a third party to give the money to. Say, here, this is the money I saved up. Could you purchase my freedom? Well, for female slaves, that also generally 
involved some form of sexual exploitation. It's also why it didn't happen so frequently for male slaves, even though if they were an artisan or if they worked in a, a rich household and they were given a salary, they weren't able to buy their own slaves because it was difficult for them to find a third party that was willing to help them. Because even though freedom might be an option later on, the slaves themselves, they didn't really have a place, um, a set place in Greek society. And as part of the ceremony of becoming a slave, your name is taken from you. I guess in Greek society, that's both good and bad because how negatively foreigners are looked upon. But you're given just an individual name. You're, you're given just a, a first name, basically. It could be based on what you do, what your intended purpose was, is um, slavery, at least for the male slaves, was it, it was just different than female slaves. Another interesting thing about female slaves, they had interesting relationships with their mistresses because mistresses were at home it was their job to run the household the estate for example there's strong evidence that closer relationships developed between female slaves and their mistresses because of this seclusion of these upper class women in their homes in for example in Euripides tragic uh, the character of Medea con confided her deepest feelings with her nurse, who both advised and comforted her in her troubled times. Furthermore, uh, female slaves always accompanied their mistresses on, excur on excursions outside of the home. It is likely that a sense of their common exclusion from the masculine world of public affairs from the... Um, male Greek citizens would have drawn women together regardless of class or where they were from. And remember, women were treated as second-class citizens. The only public area in which women were allowed to participate was religion. The last section of slaves that I really want to talk about um, are helots and agricultural slaves. Agricultural slaves weren't quite as common as you would think. Again, kind of a misconception because of our modern idea of what a slave is. A man who owns his own farm, and that was the ideal of, of the Greek life. You own your own land. You work your own land. You don't work for somebody else. They would work their own land. It was also generally accepted that they would also have a, a slave. And it just expands how much work can be done on the farm, um, allows for a greater accumulation of wealth and trading of goods and services, uh, and allows the civilian the, to really partake in Greek culture the way that they're supposed to. The helots are a little bit different, and these are Spartan state slaves. They're not owned by any individual master. Um, the The city-state of Sparta had a social hierarchy that was different than Athens, which is basically the ones that we've been talking about. So at the top of the pyramid were two kings um, who were checked by a council of elders. Uh, they were 
and below this aristocratic class was a middle class which was called um, the Perosi. The lowest class, which was also the largest in Spartan society, was held a group known as the Helots, right? That's who we're talking about. So you have kings, the aristocracy, you know, middle class, and then the Helots. According to the Greek geographer Pausanias, Pausanias? I'm terrible with names. I really am. You guys probably hate it. But the Helots hailed from the city Helos. This city is said to have been conquered by the Spartans. Um, Thucydides, however, gives a different account, origin of the Helots. According to him, the Helots were the descendants of the uh, Messenians who were enslaved by the Spartans during the first Messenian War in 8th century BC. So that those are that's the history of the Helots. While they were considered slaves, um, it's been pointed out that they were somewhat different from other slaves in the neighboring Greek city-states. It's claimed that in Athens, for instance, slaves did not have families and communities of their own. The Helots, by contrast, had their own families and communities. Additionally, the Helots were not privately owned. They belonged to the state because the male citizens of Sparta devoted their lives to athletic military training, war, and politics, as well as hunting, they couldn't afford to spend time on agricultural activities. The task of producing food for the Spartans were left to the Helots. Although Helots were generally speaking peasants, they, they could be employed for other jobs. They could also be conscripted into military duties of time of war. That's where things get a little bit interesting. Spartans don't like people questioning their power. And given that the Helots greatly outnumbered the Spartan masters, the possibility of them revolting uh, against their, their rulers was omnipresent. The first major Helot revolt took place 665 BC, and it's known as the Second Mycenaean War. It took 20 years to put down the rebellion. Spartans really thought very strongly about taking war outside of their territory after that because they were almost constantly in fear that the, the helots at home would be uh, rebelling and revolting and trying to take the state away from them. And despite the precautions that they took, uh, there were several other revolts um, that the helots took place that after an earthquake in 464, took over uh, Mount uh, Ithome, which was besieged by Sparta. They, they tried to take it back, and the siege ended five years later when both sides were like, eh, well, I think we've had enough of this. An interesting note about the Helots, and I mentioned that they could be conscripted into military service. Well, if you performed your duty really well in military service um, to the Spartans, you could come home and you'd have a nice celebration and you'd be honored, basically honored in these individual groups, maybe like 20 or 30 people. And then because you were so good at your job and because you created such glory for yourself in the field of battle, Ancient Sparta took it upon themselves to 
completely murder and destroy um, several of these helot groups, sending a message saying, hey, be good, but, you know, don't be that good. And, and definitely don't try spreading the idea of freedom to other helots. We're going to take a break, and then right after the break, we're going to talk about um, philosophy in ancient Greece Think about your favorite subject in ancient Greece or maybe a, a topic you would like me to talk about on the podcast. Send it my way. Contact at historyuncensoredpod.com. And for now, enjoy the moment. Welcome back to the podcast, and I said we're going to be going over some of the philosophers, particularly Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates. And first on the list is Aristotle. According to Aristotle, the daily routine of slaves could be summed up in three words, work, discipline, and feeding. Those are the three things you did. You might be cared for as by your mistress you might be sexually exploited by the the male citizen of the household but your real job was to work whatever it was that you were supposed to be doing um to be disciplined if you were not good at what you were doing and then to eat to maintain your strength to continue the work but aristotle describes also something pretty significant that rears its ugly head later in history and that's the idea of a natural slave and the idea is anyone who while being human is by nature not his own but of someone else he's of someone else when while being human he is a piece of property and a piece of property is a tool for action separate from its owner hot damn so Aristotle believes that there are two types of people in the world. There are those that can think and reason and act in society in a way that's conducive to the betterment of society and that person. And then there are those that can only act upon the will of other people. He does say that there are some times when people who aren't natural slaves are taken into slaves uh, to be slaves, and he thinks that's really quite sad but the people who are natural slaves he believes that it is better for them to be ruled than to have their own in like inhibitions their own wants to him they are incapable of it to him all barbarians are incapable of this so and he believes that if you are a barbarian if, if, if you don't have you know these ideas of civilization you're a slave Simple as that. Aristotle often refers to these types of slaves, these natural slaves, as tame animals. He says, In this way, slaves are so much more beast-like than man-like that it is nature's design that slaves would actually be distinguishable physically from masters. 
A design that, unfortunately, in his mind, nature fails to satisfy. I want to jump forward 16th century, 1510. There is a philosopher, Johannes Meor, and he was the first European recorded to cite Aristotle's theory of natural slavery. And he says, as the philosopher Aristotle says in the third and fourth chapters of the first book of the politics, it is clear that some men are by nature slaves, others by nature free. This has now been demonstrated by experience. Wherefore, the first person to conquer the Indians justly rules over them because they are natural slaves. This idea of people being natural slaves came from Aristotle's writing and was used to justify the enslavement of the native population in the Americas. The other thing that's interesting about this idea of a natural slave, later on, you know, we'll, we'll go another 450 years or so forward from Johannes Meyer to Julian Jaynes. In his 1976 book, The Origin of Consciousness and the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind. Holy sweet Jesus, what does that mean? Bicameral mentality, this idea of a split brain. Somebody who has this, they would lack metaconsciousness, autobiographical memory, and the capacity for executive like ego functions such as mind-watering, conscious introspection, um, so on and so forth. Regardless of the situation, the person would hallucinate a voice or a god, a, a deitic voice in their mind uh, that, give, that would give them advice or commands, and they would obey without question. But I really do think that the book is based directly on the idea of the natural slave. When you compare the two, they are almost identical. It's just kind of interesting. Uh, Jane's just provides a much more modern take on it. And again, the book is The Origin of Consciousness and the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind. Aristotle's a dick. He thinks people can be natural slaves. And he's just slightly torn up from the fact that there are some people that aren't natural slaves that are slaves, and that makes him kind of sad. Plato, on the other hand, is a real prick. And I know Plato and Aristotle and Socrates gave us a wealth of wisdom and information and really moved forward this idea of logical and reason, reason thinking. Plato pretty much wished to abolish freedom. See, he doesn't say slaves because he knows that slave is a negative term. He says, nope, I want to abolish freedom. I want everybody to basically be slaves to the state, to the rulers. And the rulers, the best of the best in Plato's mind, would be slaves to the people and their wants and needs. Plato really thought of slavery as pretty positive. The people that we would call slaves today are the people he wanted in many of his ideal states. And if you haven't read Plato's Republic, it's pretty interesting. Check it out. It really harkens to, you know, the idea of the brave new world, 1984, dystopian societies where everything is seemingly perfect. And here's a quote from 
Plato. Nature herself imitates that it is just for the better to have more than the worse, the more powerful than the weaker, and in many ways she knows among men as well as among animals, and indeed among whole cities and races, that justice consists in the superior ruling over and having more than the inferior. Well, that was a whole lot of kind of gobbledygook there, but what he's saying is it's imperative that the greater, the the better, the, the people that, thinks them, that think of themselves as superior to have more than the weaker or those that they think are inferior. If that doesn't sound like modern capitalistic society, I, I don't know what does, especially the, the modern capitalistic society we live in today can be blamed on slavery but we've gone over aristotle natural slavery we've gone over plato everybody's slaves now let's talk about socrates who's a little bit different now suppose a man who has been elected general enslaves an unjust and hostile city shall we say that he acts unjustly oh no we shall say that his actions are just, shall we not? Certainly. Although Euthydemus, he said that it was just for a general to enslave an unjust and hostile city. He, Socrates asked the question as if the answer were obvious. Socrates says that enslavement is considered a just or an unjust act according to uh, the determination of the victims. Are they friends or are they enemies? Are they people from Athens? Are they people from Greece? Or are they foreigners? Socrates also argues that there's no reprobation in being a slave if said enslavement leads to wisdom. Socrates believed that slavery was sometimes just and sometimes not. Uh, he believed that there were better and worse forms of slavery. Uh, for example, in his uh, memorabilia, Socrates says... For he kept in his subjection not only the pleasures of the body, but those too that money brings, in the belief that he who takes money from any casual giver puts himself under a master and endures the basest form of slavery. This passage also shows that Socrates believed that one can become a slave by borrowing money from a certain type of person. Uh, he also says that slave is the name given to those who are ignorant of the uh, what is godly, what is ungodly, what is beautiful, what is ugly, what is just, what is unjust, what is prudence, what is madness, what is courage, and what is cowardice, what is a state, what is a statesman, what is government, and what is a governor. Basically, if you don't know those things, you're definitely more on the slave side of the, the coin. In the end, that is uh, kind of Greek slavery in a nutshell. So just to recap a little bit, the TLDR of Greek slavery, they could hold just about any job that uh, the owner thought was too menial for them to work so they could concentrate on being a proper citizen. Because of that, you had a really wide variety in how the slaves were treated. You had the most common type of slave, the household slave, who was showered with gifts and food and figs and olives upon entering into the household, which really depended on the temperament of the master. You had female prostitutes and 
female slaves, though not expected to do as much physical labor, I would imagine were much more tortured emotionally than the male slaves, especially with the exploitation of them sexually. Uh, you had agricultural slaves weren't as common, still prevalent, that helped work. the. F and then you had the miners who were basically just sent there to die. And I didn't mention this and I forgot, but uh, they tried to keep the miners as thieves and criminals, uh, but that didn't always happen. So you had to get the slaves from somewhere. So you had the miners, you had the factory workers, the ones in the fisheries, the, the one doing the accounting. You had a whole group of slaves uh, basically as policemen in Athens. So slavery was really diverse. It was really a part of the society. And in Sparta, you had citizens uh, that were completely outnumbered by the state slaves. So they were in constant fear of revolt. The last horrible thing I'm going to leave you guys with today is that just like, or just like women were exploited sexually in ancient Greece, so were young boys. They didn't have a voice because they weren't a citizen yet, and they were under the patronage and tutelage of whoever the master of the household was. If you were a slave young boy, it was just as bad. Um... They were also very frequently sexually exploited by Raped. Greek male citizens, both in Sparta and in Athens. A happy note about um, sodomizing before I leave you guys today. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you guys reach out to me at contact at historyuncensoredpod.com or on Twitter at Seth4Nerds, Seth the number four nerds. I really appreciate anybody who does listen. If you could do me a huge favor, I always ask this, but please subscribe to the channel if you listen. Also, reach out to your friends and family and anybody that you think might be interested in the show. That helps me grow. It's really important. This is what I'm hoping to do for a living. So any help you give me, uh, I appreciate beyond measure. I wanted to say thank you. Rate and review the podcast wherever you can, and I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Remember, in history, we never forget. We knew the world would not be the same. Few people laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. I remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. Vishnu is trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on his multi-armed form and says, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another.